Welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network, coming to you from the TeacherCast studios since 2011. Join us each week as we bring you the latest educational news, ed tech updates, and hottest interviews with today's most influential leaders in education. And now, for your host, Jeff Bradbury. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. If you're a podcaster, blogger, author, presenter, speaker, or any kind of content creator, welcome to the Jeff Bradbury Show. This is the place where you can learn how to build your EDU brand. And welcome to today's episode number 26. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and today I have a very exciting and special guest, my friend, Dr. Monica Burnson, and she and I are going to have an amazing conversation all about how she built her brand, ClassTechTips.com, into one of the premier blogs, podcasts in all of education. And of course, you can find Monica speaking all throughout the country, internationally even. And we're going to find out all the great stuff that she does each and every day. But before we get into that, I want to ask you a question. How are you doing? It is now February and we and us up in the Northeast just got through a really nasty snowstorm. We had about 20 inches of snow up here in Connecticut. I hope you guys have had a good time. I hope the weather's been nice to you. Lots of great stuff happening over on TeacherCast. Of course, build your EDU brand is that premier place where you guys can check out all of our blogs, our podcast, all the episodes of this show. And of course, if you're interested in doing some great things like starting an email marketing campaign for your, your brand, you can check out our free 90-day email marketing course. Hope you guys have a chance to check that out. I am excited to share the launch of a brand new adventure, a brand new way that I am out there building my EDU brand. And it's all about podcasting. Now, maybe you're listening to this because you are a podcaster, or maybe you're interested in getting into podcasting. So you're listening to this show, or maybe you're dabbling on audio video, trying to figure out where you are. One of the things that I noticed a few years ago is that if you look at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, there was a difference of opinion in categories. You see, if you click on the word education on most of these platforms, you find podcasts that say there are educational podcasts. Maybe they are a language podcast or a home improvement podcast, or maybe they're a technology podcast showing you how to do something, or maybe they're even a self-help and they're calling themselves education. And yes, that is true. That is certainly true. Those are educational shows. But you know, you and I, our teacher friends out there, when we click on something that says education, we really are looking for teachers creating content for other teachers. I realized a couple of years ago that there just wasn't any clear way on these shows and on these platforms to find other teachers like myself who were making content, making podcasts, making blogs. So we did something a little bit uh, funky about that. We created a couple of years ago, something called the educational podcast directory and set out to gather all of the teachers educators, colleges, universities, you name it, that are out there each and every week creating amazing educational content about what's happening in their lives, in their schools, how they're using technology, etc. And I was so excited a couple of years ago to launch that. It was a big hit. We had a couple hundred podcasters on there and it looked awesome. Time passed. And I am proud that this week we launched version two. Something I've always wanted to do is update it. And this week we launched brand new version two of the educational podcast directory. Do me a favor, head on over to edupodcastdirectory.com. That's edupodcastdirectory.com. Check it out. More than 200 educational podcasts, podcasters are on there. And if you are creating a show or have a show to add, we would love to have you on there. There's a link all the way at the bottom of the edu podcastdirectory.com where you guys can fill out our Google form and submit your show. We are getting more and more shows each and every day. If you are looking for teachers creating podcasts and something new to drive into the work, I would love to have you guys check out the EDU podcast directory. 
Now, speaking of driving into work, uh, recently I was invited into an amazing new platform called Clubhouse. Maybe you've heard it. It's, uh, it's an audio platform where people get together and have open conversations. Sometimes they're one-to-one. Sometimes they're one-to-group. Sometimes they're moderated. Lots of different ways to use the Clubhouse app. It is, to my knowledge, only available right now on iOS, but I'm sure they're going to be expanding it. I heard they have about 2 million members. Today on our interview with Dr. Monica Burns, we are going to be talking all about Clubhouse. How does it work? How do you build your brand on it? How do you create a room? How do you get a club? All of those wonderful things. And I hope you guys have a chance to stick around to that part in the episode where we talk all about that stuff. Other great topics that Monica and I are going to talk about today is her email strategy. Stay around for that one. You don't want to miss it. Monica has an amazing email strategy and how she uses email marketing to her advantage over on Class Tech tips.com so with that further ado don't forget to check out all the great episodes on buildyouredubrand.com and today i'd like to bring you my interview with dr monica burns my guest today is an author a speaker a blogger podcaster and one of my favorite people to talk to i think most importantly she is from new jersey i want to bring on to the show today dr monica burns monica how are you today welcome to the program I'm great. Thanks. Excited to chat with you today. I am so excited to have you on, especially because we're all here to talk about how we built our brands. Mm -hmm. And you are one of those amazing educators that, like many, you were teaching. And now you're doing the entrepreneur, the edupreneur. You've you've got all these different aspects. Um, We're going to focus today on two main uh, pillars. basically because of popular demand. People have actually said, I'd like to hear what Monica has to say about Clubhouse. I know you're on that a lot. Mm -hmm. And also you have got a killer email marketing strategy that I want to pick your brain on here. But before we get into those kind of things, talk to us a little bit about Monica. Tell us a little bit about the entrepreneur side. Um, Did you make the jump? Did you find yourself making the jump? How did you get from classroom teacher to Dr. Monica Burns? Yeah, so it wasn't really part of the plan, if you will, right? I started teaching with an overhead projector, transparencies, chalk and a chalkboard, all those great things that were working, right, at the time. And then became um, the school I was working in became a magnet school. So we had funding to do a few different things, including iPads really early on, like 2011, in terms of going one to one. So definitely not the first spot, um, but one of the kind of early places where that was happening, at least in New York. City where I was teaching. And then, you know, I was using all these different apps and tools and resources alongside the work we were doing in the classroom and had some opportunities to talk about it um, in in New York, kind of smaller and and local events. And that's really where things grew uh, in terms of creating the blog, jumping into spaces like Twitter to share ideas or to find new information. And that was really back in 2012 when that all started, when I was still in the classroom. And I've been out of the classroom for several years now, doing some of the things that you mentioned, uh, professional development, so visiting different schools, and working with educators and organizations in that way. Of course, it's been, we're almost at the year mark of that all being virtual. And then the other part of my work is working directly with teachers. So providing resources for them, whether it's books or digital resources or my membership site. And then I often will partner with companies for um, partnerships alongside of blog posts and other webinars and events. So that's kind of the, the area that my, my work is in now. You know, I, I keep forgetting you and I have a very similar journey because we. I started in 2011. You said you started in 2012. Um, where did the words class tech tips come from? When, when did that pop into your mind? When did you first say that? And what was that aha moment of that's the domain? That's what I want to hang my hat on. Well, there's another Monica Burns. Uh, so MonicaBurns.com uh, and at Twitter, she's a very different type of author uh, than I am. And she actually chose my name as kind of the story behind it. So not even her her given name, if you will, but her pen name is Monica Burns. And so right away that eliminated the personal branding with the name that you know many people do. 
And I was looking for a way to communicate that the types of resources I wanted to share were around technology integration, were around classroom use. As much as I was wearing my iPad hat and I'm an Apple Distinguished Educator and love all of that, that wasn't kind of the only place I was thinking. So I wanted to have something that felt broad and comfortable enough for people who might be coming in with all the different tools at that time, so almost 10 years ago, um, and all the tools we didn't know would be available. And so that's where class tech tips came from. And just like Clubhouse and any, anything new that pops on, I usually run over and try and grab that username. Uh, not that it's particularly competitive, but um, you know, planting, uh, planting my feet, if you will, in those different digital spaces. You know, I, I guess that's one thing we also have in common of the, the you know, the dot com was taken. I own teachercast dot everything else except mm -hmm. the com. Um, and also I, I've always been like, oh, I don't have Jeff Bradbury dot com. I've got Jeff Ree and nobody calls me Jeff Ree. Mm -hmm. um, now, obviously, you said that Monica Burns dot com was taken. But with all these other things, are, are you taking class tech tips dot whatever and also Monica Burns or are you just you're just moving forward with class step tips, you know, clubhouse comes around. You're not even thinking Monica, you're mm -hmm. just thinking the, the, the domain. Yeah, I think the cohesiveness there is really important just for people to know where to go to, to find the resources and the places where I am. So yeah, it's class tech tips across the board. The podcast is the Easy Ed Tech podcast. So that's just different kind of underneath that class tech tips umbrella. My membership site is the Easy Ed Tech Club. So although I have domains for those that you know, will redirect in different places, classtechtips.com is really the hub of all of that. And I heard a, a tip the other day about grabbing the .club domain. So for those of the folks that are on Clubhouse and thinking about sending people to a specific page. So as opposed to doing a classtechtips.com slash club, which actually takes you out to my membership site right now and has for the past two years, um, I just recently purchased classtechtips.com or classtechtips.club um, in anticipation of the Clubhouse space growing and wanting to have a specific spot to point people to. Popular question I ask on this show. How many domains do you own? I would say probably about 10 okay. or 12, maybe, um, maybe less than that. Um, I would say probably 10 is a closer number. So I've purchased them for my books. So if you put in tasks before apps.com, I should check this before I say this, right? But um, the books, um, I typically will purchase that domain and then just do a backend redirect. So I'm mm -hmm. not building out a new page necessarily. I'm usually just plugging it or redirecting it to a page that's already on my site. Sometimes I'll create something quickly with Spark page, Adobe Spark page, just because it's a nice, clean, branded landing page. But having it all go back to, to my space, you know, tends to be the, the easier option. What's your recommendation for places to purchase domains? I, I buy all my stuff through GoDaddy. What's your passion? Yeah, so GoDaddy's um, been my my website host for not this entirety of the, the work that I've done, but probably the last five years or so. So it's just really nice and easy and streamlined to have it there. You know, I'll just head over there. I'm not the kind of person that, you know, sees a commercial and then goes and runs a domain for some great idea I'm not going to follow up on necessarily. I do have some of those people in my life and I support it wholeheartedly. Uh, but I would say probably the 10 number has more to do with book titles or the membership site or the podcast or, or stuff like that. When you were working in the classroom and you were starting to come up with the, uh, these ideas, did you start thinking like an entrepreneur or did you just fall into this or was it gradual if I have an idea, oh, maybe I can make money out of this? What was your transformation from a classroom teacher to businesswoman? So I went to school, my undergraduate degrees in elementary education, right? So that was the plan kind of getting started. I know some folks have different undergraduate degrees and kind of do the flip-flop, but um, I started off kind of that way jumping in, but I've always been someone that was working um, all the time um, in, a, you know, just more of a hustle. I've got the time, let's do this a type of experience. So whether it was babysitting, you know, 20 hours a week uh, while I was in high school or whether it was um, doing something like teaching after school or other programs or taking on some paid PD opportunities as a teacher. You know, I was always very mindful of supplementing my income with different opportunities that came my way. You know, we all know 
that that's something that many educators do um, just by nature of the way that the you know compensation levels are uh, to put it to put it lightly and so that's always been part of what I've done um, but then when this all started it happened fairly you know organically I wasn't going out searching to do all these things but in hindsight I had a lot of experiences in smaller ways that added up into what I was able to do so you know I was someone who was partnered up with the person that came in to help us think through social media when we became a magnet school. So all of a sudden I'm looking at WordPress mm -hmm. behind the scenes in a way that I hadn't thought of before. You know, when I had, you know, a live journal at some point, yeah. right, or MySpace or any of those things in the past, which I, you know, I'm sure no one can find because I'm sure I can't find it either. Mm -hmm. um, I was always playing around with the hex codes or trying to do different HTML pieces, right, to bolts. So always having a level of curiosity around those pieces. And so when um, I was starting to kind of get the seven-year itch, if you will, at my school, thinking about what might be next for me, I had some opportunities aligned with the work that I do now that I was in a position to scale or try out for a little bit and see if I liked it um, or if it was what I wanted to do or if, you know, frankly, it was sustainable. So I wouldn't say that I was, you know, always having a small business or, you know, running a, a, something, you know, while I was in high school or anything beyond just the types of taking on the extra shifts or ready for that work. You know, I would say my work ethics always been pretty strong, which helps when you're in an entrepreneurial space. But I don't know that there's any specific, you know, business experience I could point to um, beyond, um, you know, now it's very different. But at, at that point of making the choice or the transition. You know, I'm listening to your story and kind of reflecting on on my journey over the last couple of years here and really the last 10 years. I can't remember a time in teacher cast history where I wasn't aware of what you were doing with class tech tips. I didn't even realize at the time that we were so close. You were in New York. I was in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. But you've always been a brand. You've always been um, out there on the forefront. You know, I always looked up to you as being an Apple Distinguished Educator. I thought that was cool. Do you remember what that moment or what those little moments were that kind of took you from, hey, here's an idea to suddenly, boom, you are everybody knows who you are and you're doing some awesome things. I mean, was it ADE? Was it uh, a website blog post? Was it a presentation? What, what are some of those things that you remember in the very early uh, mm -hmm. heartbeats here that just kind of put you on that next platform? Yeah. So, you know, the origin story, if you will, that I sometimes will share, you know, goes back to being in the classroom, using iPads, right? Trying to work my way to figure out how to sync them all up right before Apple configure, configure it or any of the things that would have come down the line after that. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I was probably bugging the folks on the Apple sales team in New York, you know, with the, how do you do this? Or have you figured out this yet? Right. And so they had an event at the at the UFT um, downtown in, in New York City, which happened to be not far from where I was living at the time. And I was teaching in, in South Harlem and they had called me up and said, hey, would you mind coming down to this event? We're going to have some teachers there. Just, you know, tell them about some of the things that you're doing with the iPads, you know, let them know what's what's out there and available. And I showed up and it wasn't a few teachers. It was a few hundred teachers. And I have, you know, no public speaking experience mm -hmm. at that time beyond, you know, a casual hand raise at a faculty meeting, right. Or working with my group of fifth graders. And I sometimes will joke with colleagues that have, you know, what I call a secret high school theater background <laughs> that now do some of the speaking and keynoting work that we all do. Right. But, you know, that being said, I jumped on stage, I, you know, shared all of the things. And as soon as I got off, everyone started at what's your blog, what's your Twitter, where can we learn more? And I didn't have any answers to that question. Mm -hmm. And that was winter of 2012. And by May, I kind of got in my act together, if you will, and thought about what it might look like to share. I set up a WordPress site. Um, I went on to Twitter and kind of grabbed my, you know, my links there and my handles, if you will, and started sharing. And that's when all of a sudden, you know, people found a resource and now they're, you know, on the site or they're DMing asking, can I come and do this thing for them? Right. And so that early on in, in 2012 kind of turned into um, the work that I do now with, you know, my first ISTE was in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, so about a year later um, that summer, I went to my first um, ADE or Apple Distinguished Educator Institute. And that's really when 
I started to see the world outside of my space and kind of those layers just grow a bit. So, you know, even that that year in the classroom leading up to that summer of 2013, right? I was connecting with some people on Twitter. People were asking me to do different things, but it was all very kind of within its own, you know, social space. By that point, I was kind of out and about connecting, meeting these people that I had met on Twitter, right? At these different events. And so that's really where things started. And I did some blogging for Edutopia. I just had a post for them this week, actually, which is funny because um, I used to do a lot more for them and took a couple years of space from that and have been back in their networks a little bit. And so that's really where I started getting a little bit of movement and traction. And then, you know, fast forward a few years, even from then, you know, was able to step back and say, what does this look like from a monetization standpoint? What am I, what, I don't know what I don't know. So let's try and figure that out at the same time. And that's um, when, when things kind of changed a bit. There is that switch that you have to make that says, is this a hobby or can I do this? And if I can do this, how do I do this in the long term to sustain myself? Um, you know, everybody has a family to feed. Everybody has their own priorities and bills and stuff like that. What was that switch for you? Was it just, hey, I have a lot of these extra things coming in, don't have time to teach? Or was there a, oh, I can make money off of this. Let's kind of work in this direction. Or is it something a little different? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it just came back to that kind of space where I knew I needed a change and I had thought that that would have been going to a new school, right. Or, or doing that sort of change, right. Within a, a position still, you know, somewhere else within New York city DOE's massive, right. So there's some opportunity to bounce around while staying within the system. But what happened was, you know, at that time I got to a place where I was just, you know, saying no to things that were interesting to me that were coming through. And I reached a point where I said, you know, I, I don't know that I want to stop teaching really, right. That wasn't, you know, the end game or something to, to go into something different, but I had these opportunities that I kind of had a sense might go away if I didn't take a chance and, and try it out. And it was something that I was curious about and wanted to, you know, see if I liked that. And so I, you know, I left my position in a way that I knew I could go back. Right. So leaving on good terms, keeping my teaching license, you know, doing all the right things in terms of that to provide op options. And I also was in a position where I knew I would have plenty of, of student facing time kind of built into that next round, which was really important to me. So I was still in classrooms. I was still supporting after school programs. Some of that work turned into my doctoral work. So, you know, there was a level of of understanding to say, what do I, what do I, am I going to need in this next phase in order to remain, you know, true to what I wanted to do here. And part of that was the ability to spend plenty of time in classrooms. I mean, really up until February of last year, you know, in physical classrooms with students at schools that I've, you know, have great relationships with and have visited, you know, lots and lots over the past few years. And so all of that was really important to me during that transition, but it wasn't, you know, a and I, a thing where I felt like I needed to, you know, start a business or this was something that I, I really saw the trajectory that things ended up, you know, going fast forward, you know, six years later or so. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I put myself in a position where I could make some choices, which I think was the most important piece to me. I love that story because it's it, it really does show that trajectory of if you're interested in doing something, just put your mind to it. One of the things that we talk about here on the channel a lot is finding who your avatar is. Who is that person that you're writing to? And I know for many educators, we say, well, we're just writing to teachers. But I know that when you do a presentation, you're targeting it to a specific mm -hmm. people. It can be the same presentation, but an ADE audience is different than an EdCamp audience. Mm -hmm. When you are... Let's just talk about the, the 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 blog for a second. We'll get to the podcast and stuff later. But when you're writing on your blog, if you close your eyes, who are you writing to? What is that? Who is that teacher? Who is that person that you're writing that class tech tip for? So I see kind of that that avatar, if you will, um, as someone who is in a informal or formal coaching role that's passionate about technology. So that could be a fourth grade teacher 
who's in a classroom, but is the person everyone asks questions to, right? It could be a ninth grade teacher or media specialist who, you know, is the person that's giving suggestions to anyone who will listen about this thing that they're excited about. Or it might be someone in a K-12, you know, instructional role um, where their role really is to see the connections between using digital tools strategically to align with curriculum goals. So the kind of umbrella that I put that person in, right, is an educator that not only supports students, but really supports their colleagues, whether they know it or not, whether it's an informal or formal role. Let's deep dive a little bit on that. You had mentioned that from the start, you got onto WordPress. Um, Mm -hmm. Give me the 30 second answer here. Why WordPress? Why not anything else? So I had some experience with WordPress from my school's website. So I knew what it looked like behind the scenes. It felt comfortable. Um, I fast forward a few years later um, for that initial launch, if you will. um, And I had someone go in and build out a a custom site for me that does more of the things that I wanted it to do, as opposed to trying to work within the constraints of a particular theme. I've loved watching class tech tips evolve over the years. We've had conversations about different Mm -hmm. themes and stuff like that. When you're writing, what is your philosophy on writing? Are you writing long form, short form, um, adding embed codes into things, lots of videos? What, what, What does a class tech tips blog post look like? In 2012, my goal was to keep things very, very short because just like me, I assumed everyone else was really busy with their time, right? And didn't have a lot of of time to dive into a long form blog post. Fast forward a bit. I know that that's not the best practice from a search engine optimization standpoint. And I kind of went back or kind of rethought things. And now my my posts tend to be about 600 to 700 words, um, sometimes a little bit longer than that, especially if I am reworking a podcast transcript and turning that into a blog post. There tends to be a lot more of a word count to work with there. So usually more long form. I love plugging in a YouTube or Vimeo clip, especially if I'm giving um, an overview of a product someone might not have seen before or something that they kind of need to wrap their head around. So that typically is what I'm embedding. When I post an episode of my podcast, which is on my blog, so there's a whole section just for podcast episodes, I have been in the past, so we're almost at the two-year mark with the podcast. In the past, I've been doing a Lipsyn, so using that um, plugin, but I've recently switched and we're kind of in the process now, probably by the end of next week, um, they're all going to be over to Spotify widgets. Um, the coloring just works better mm-hmm. with the feel of the blog. It looks nicer. <laughs> um, so it's very much a, um, a cosmetic choice, but mm-hmm. that's kind of where, where we're headed. I, I agree with that. And I noticed that I, I, I do like the Spotify audio players. Uh, we here at TeacherCast, we use a, a program called Captivate. Okay. Same feel, you know, nice little image, has a has a branded color to it. Um, Going to keep asking some of these questions, if you don't mind. The color options. Everything that we see about you are these colors. In fact, it's even mm-hmm. the colors of the, the featured image that I put for this episode because mm-hmm. I wanted to always associate you with that. Um, how'd you come up with them? Why this color palette? Yeah. So, I mean, I love blue and teal. I think they're warm, friendly, inviting colors. Um, I've kind of moved around a little bit with some things that might feel a little bit more green. So keeping within the palette, like the, um, my blog is a little bit of a lighter color with that. The podcast is a little bit more teal or darker feel to it. And then the Easy Ed Tech Club, my membership site threads in some yellow. That's the only place that I really have added the more yellow piece in. And so I'm mindful of all those colors. You can kind of see behind me, I've got all the books and stuff, right? So, you know, I'm I'm mindful of what that looks like in terms of complementary colors. I try and keep my slide decks kind of within that. I'm a Adobe Spark person and have the branding set up to match that. So it's pretty quick and seamless for me to be able to make some graphics that are branded, that have the logo, that have consistent font. I think that's really important um, just to have that kind of going all together with the brand. So I try and stick with the palette and stick with those templates. I'm also a systems person, right? So um, being able to work off of templates is just important for my sanity, right? In addition to making sure things feel clean and crisp and just recognizable for someone who might come across my content. I think you already answered this one here, but I, graphics, is that Canva? Is that Adobe Spark? Is it a combination or is it just Adobe? Like, where do you go? Combination. From? 
combination? Yeah, so combination. Um, I've always loved Canva. I think it's great for things that you might have to dive into a little bit more deeply. So most of the free, I should say all of the free downloads or opt-ins or lead magnets, right, that you'd see on my website were designed in Canva. Um, most of my, I would say all of my blog titles and all of that are all spark post. Um, I've been using spark post and the animation even to make Instagram reels or TikTok videos. There's a lot you can do with posts there. And then Canva, I will use for certain other things too, especially if I come across a great template or I'm looking to make an infographic or, or something that is going to need a little bit more, um, a little bit more specific attention than something like spark post. Talking today to Dr. Monica Burns all about her brand, how she built it, her journey as an entrepreneur here. And Monica, let's talk about our first real tentpole conversation, which is email marketing. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of educators that have a newsletter, and that's wonderful. That's a good first step. But you've taken things a little bit farther. You actually, uh, correct me here, you actually are doing email marketing, lead gen, you're sharing things, your newsletter. Um when did that happen? How did you start to learn about the difference between, you know, sending a newsletter and mm -hmm. doing email marketing and give us a little bit, give us a little bit of that story. So definitely not from the beginning um, at all, right? So I would say it's probably been in the past five years or so that I've thought about the importance of being able to connect with people that way. You'll hear people within a you know marketing space say like, you know, you don't have any control really over your Facebook, over your Instagram followers, over your Twitter. That's someone else who's in charge of that. So if you can be in charge of your emails and you can provide that value for people, it's easier to get in front of them when you do have something important important that you want to share, right? Whether that is something that is more from a monetization standpoint, or it's more something that is just a great resource, right? So any of those things, um, you know, I came to the realization at that time that that was a big gap in terms of connecting with my audience. And so I started being more thoughtful about inviting people in, right? To sign up, to get that content. And so I send out a, a Monday newsletter every week that includes what's new on the blog. Now what's new on the podcast it used to be more of a where in the world I happened to be that week, right? Or some updates on when it comes to different traveling and events, but now it includes links to webinars or, or different resources that I'm excited about in addition to the blog and the podcast. How often do you put those out? So those go out um, Monday afternoons, and then I'll sometimes send out a Thursday email if I've got a spotlight or an extra resource. And then if there's something else going on, like you know, opening up the doors to my membership site or a new book or a special webinar, right, I'll, I'll send out a message about that as well. Why Monday afternoons? I found that Mondays afternoons, right, we're settled in for the week. Monday mornings is a, a little bit of a crazy time, but Monday afternoons, just that kind of consistent to start the week is good for my workflow in the sense of let's scoop all the things from last week and now share it out on Monday afternoons, but also kind of just to set the tone and kind of give that energy on a Monday afternoon. Um, MailChimp, ConvertKit, what do you use? I use MailChimp really early on and kind of hit a wall and then moved over to ConvertKit. I've been using ConvertKit now probably for five or six years. I mm -hmm. love it. I love the fact that they have, you know, landing pages, their their blogs, their, their plugin is great. Mm -hmm. um, any particular features of ConvertKit that you find that you like or that you overly use or, you know, for anybody who has never seen ConvertKit, I know they just opened up a free program. Mm -hmm. um, why do you like ConvertKit? So I like it because of the segmentation and the tagging, right? So if someone sees the Spark video graphic organizers that I have on my blog, I know that there's someone who's excited about Adobe Spark. So if I've got some fun Adobe Spark news, I can make sure they get it, right? So that allows me to just segment the audience that way. And then there's also just the tagging and the follow-up that I can do. So if someone has clicked on certain links, I know they're excited about something and I can make sure that if I do have some news or another resource or a webinar, maybe not everyone needs to know about it, but those people who are going to be super interested in that one topic would probably appreciate it. I, I totally agree. If you look at anything on TeacherCast, it always says your name, email, and then it always says IMA, and that drops down to like tech coach, podcaster, librarian, mm -hmm. teacher. I'm already starting the segmentation process of that. So that way people get the kind of conversations and, and newsletters that they want. 
if anybody was to say, Monica, give me some advice on either starting my or building my or sustaining my newsletter, give me a couple newsletter tech tips. So the first one is start, do it. Right. I think everyone, myself included, wants to like wrap our head around everything or have everything be perfect. But I would say start. Don't wait two weeks until you have a better idea. Like go through and say, like, who's on my list? Are these people that still want to hear from me? And then just commit to whatever your content cycle is going to look like and try not to overthink it. I use a template. So it's the same, even though the content's different each week, I'm not sitting back and saying, what am I going to write on Monday? Like I know what's going to go in that newsletter every week. So starting it with whatever you've got right now, I think is important. And then the second piece is to design a template that is going to work no matter what week you're in, right? So maybe you always include a special message right at the top, you know, a paragraph about what you and your family are up to. And then maybe below you always have two spotlight resources, whatever that is. Um, I would say stick with a template. We all like to feel like we know what we're going to see when we open up someone's email. And so if I know that this person is always giving me their favorite salsa recipe at the end of every email, even though this is really about whatever the other thing is, right? I'm going to scroll and I'm going to have some level of, of expectation. So just like we talk about routines in a classroom, right? Or setting everyone up for certain expectations. I think having that template can really help everyone um, know where to go for information and keep your life, you know, a little bit more organized. It is about the consistency and it is about the template. You know, I, I, I'm admit I subscribe to so many different newsletters as a learning resource. I don't, Obviously, I don't read them all. I don't click them all. But I mean, I subscribe to yours. I subscribe to Free Tech for Teachers. I subscribe to Vicki Davis's. Those three right there, monster blogs, lots and lots of traffic. Your newsletters couldn't get more far apart. Vicky's is pages and pages long with a million links. Richard's is story-based mm-hmm. with all of his links in here. You've got your stuff segmented. I've seen... People say, you know, your newsletter should focus around one link and one link only. Mm-hmm. I've seen people like Chris Lemma, who's a big WordPress person. He will write his entire blog out and it's a million words, but it's the blog. It's not really clickbait. It's here. Um, you do things your own way and you keep it consistent. Why is that important to build your brand and build your identity through those newsletters? Well, I think people want to know that you're going to show up for them, right? So if you're showing up and you're being consistent and you're providing that regular value and they see that that is a valuable resource, they're going to go back to it no matter, you know, what it is that it is that you're sharing right across industry. And then if you come to them and you say, Hey, I have this thing, like it is a, you know, a $12 book. Like if you want it, here it is. Like they're going to have an understanding that you're consistently providing value. And this was also something right. That would provide value in a certain way too. So, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to organize it. That one clear call to action, I think, is really important if you're promoting something or if you have a special event and you don't want it to be distracting. But I think if you're able to set up a certain type of format where people know where to go for what they care about, you know, there may be people that open up my newsletter and scroll right down to see what the new podcast episode is, right? They always is in the same spot. And there's other people that might go down to the three or four bullets where I talk about what I'm watching on Netflix this week or what, you know, Amazon book I just bought for a friend, right? So the things that are a little bit less formal or a little bit more casual, I like to have those kind of areas for whatever anyone wants when they get there. I, I, I totally agree. My last newsletter I put out that my my son had to go to the emergency room and you'd be surprised at how many people just responded with, oh my goodness, is he okay? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and those are the things that humanize you. Those are the things that, you know, it's not just this person emailing you cold. It's, oh, there's a human behind all this. There's a family mm-hmm. behind all of this. Here's here's who this person is and why I'm investing in here. I always have a hard time remembering to do my newsletter. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so much other stuff going on between the family, the podcast, the school. Though, are you if you're dropping on Monday, are mm-hmm. you creating these Monday morning, Sunday night, or are you able to batch a couple of these things a week in advance because you can? Or, you know, like, what is that process for you? So I do a lot of batch posting and batch recording for the content on my blog and my podcast. So I'll sit down, I'll make sure that I have all of these blog posts done or all of the graphics done at once or whatever it might be. That's kind of the the workflow there, right? So for example, I've did, um, I've, 
I've been alternating months on my podcast of solo episodes and interviews and February's all interviews, right? They're all recorded. They're all done. The four of them are just in queue, ready to pop out, right? Um, so over the course of the next few weeks, the newsletter, because things are a little bit more timely is different, but I send it out on Monday, but I don't have any new content going on my blog on Saturday and Sunday. I typically don't even have any new content on Friday. And I mm -hmm. do that because if the Monday newsletter is going to show all the things from last week and all the things from last week end on Thursday, well, I can do that newsletter mm -hmm. on Thursday or Friday, and it's not something I'm scrambling with Sunday night. Doesn't mean I haven't done it on a Monday morning, right? And I usually will know that that's because of the way that that week before was set up, but I try to set myself up for success with those systems, right? So I know how I work. I know that I don't want to be doing something on a Saturday if I can help it. And if I have put on my blog post calendar that there are no blog posts on Fridays. I sometimes break that rule, but generally, right. Then I know that that Friday day, you know, on my task list is to make sure my newsletter is ready to go. There's a lot of things that I'm thinking about with all of this. Cause again, I, I think we have a lot, a lot in common and our journeys are very similar. One of the things that we love doing is getting up in front of people and presenting. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I get this question off and I'm sure you get this question off. And do you have a philosophy of presentations? What does a class tech tips is look like versus a, a, an ed camp versus if you were my fourth grade teacher, what, what does a, a, a you know, what does a captivating presentation look like? I'm really all about taking action. So I love having conversations about big ideas, but I want someone to be able to walk out and do something right with that. So we might have a conversation on why, you know, assessment is important, but by the time we walk out of there, right, we've looked at how to do a do now, how to do an exit ticket and how to exit ticket and how to embed. And one of those are going to be ways that you should feel good about, you know, leaving with. So I really try and include hands-on opportunities especially now with things being virtual, right? Even a keynote style presentation, right? I'm encouraging everyone to log in and participate while we make a word cloud, or I'm encouraging, um, just on Monday of this week, I did a, a group um, with a group in Florida. So a, a kind of keynote to kick off their day, but still saying, you know, here's a link for a remixable Spark post template by the end of the keynote, like as you're listening to me, like play along with this, like think of it almost like a fidget spinner <laughs> situation, mm -hmm. right? Go play with this thing while you're listening. And maybe that is make this graphic and, and post it or share it um, afterwards. So, you know, I like things to feel really actionable, right? Big ideas are great, but we want to make sure that we have something that we can walk away with as well. I would assume, and it's been a while since I've seen you present, all of your slides are class tech tips branded. Mm -hmm font, color, photos, and such. That's that's something that we don't think about a lot. We create a nice website, we create social media, but then we go to PowerPoint and we pick a template that they're going to give us. Uh -huh. Why is this important that when we're actually putting ourselves together, when we're building our EDU brands, we're thinking of the complete package. Whenever you see that teal, that's Monica. Well, I think that it's important to have visuals that communicate the same sort of tone that feel consistent. And I think whenever you're doing something, especially now where we're screen sharing, right, and there's a whole nother dynamic to having that sort of material up on a webinar, that having things that feel really seamless and that flow um, just help everyone feel comfortable. What is your platform of choice? Are you a keynote person, Google Slides, PowerPoint, Haiku, like all of the above? I would say keynote 95% of the time. So tomorrow, for example, I'm working with a group of educators in Kentucky, and it's more of a Google-themed uh, workshop series. And so because of that, you know, I'll have Google Slides up and that's the ecosystem we're working on. It's more of an interactive workshop series with a small group. So we'll pause a lot and press a bunch of buttons together. And so it makes more sense to have it that way. 95% of the time I'm on Keynote. I often uh, will run captions with Google Slides in the background. So I just did a post on my site. I think it's called like the caption hack I can't live without or something you know, trying to be catchy like that. And so I'll often do that on the bottom. So there'll be a, a Google Slides presentation running in the background and then I'll layer content on top of it. You know, PowerPoint has come a long way, right? Since um, 
we might have been using it with students 10 years or so ago. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, I'm kind of in that keynote world just from all the time I've spent with, with the folks at Apple and how much I've seen it behind the scenes and, and all the, I don't do half of the magical stuff, but I kind of like mm -hmm. knowing that it's there. I, I love that. I'm, I, just like you, whenever I do my presentations, I usually do it on slides or something because it's just easier to have it online. But mm -hmm. most of the slides in there have probably been made in Keynote or PowerPoint or Canva or mm -hmm. something like that. It's it's just whatever works to get the point across, go have fun with it. Um, let's talk about something new because we're all out here building our brands. We're all trying to help out as many teachers. We're all trying to find that next domain and something to, to attach ourselves to. Um, recently, you and I both became members of an app called Clubhouse. Um, right now, I heard they're running over 2 million users. They've got a backlog of all these things. Every time it seems like I go into a Clubhouse room, it's the same conversation. What is Clubhouse? How does it work? Um, so let me ask you that. What is Clubhouse? How does it work? And and what are you doing on Clubhouse these days? Yeah, so I first heard of um, Clubhouse in the fall. So I'm in a couple of different kind of groups of different industries and people were talking about it, especially from a you know marketing perspective. And I downloaded the app and put my name on the wait list and all that. And then just started getting more excited, you know, at the start of this year, so the start of January, and was able to um, get in, an invite from someone who was already in the space and just kind of poking around and then started as soon as I could, you know, inviting other people who I knew um, were, you know, interested in different types of ways to connect. And so I've been really excited about Clubhouse. I didn't know what to expect. Um, mm -hmm. I went into it much more with a learner hat on. Like, oh, this is a great way for me to sit back and have a different type of experience than a podcast. Um, I love consuming podcasts as well. So it's not, you know, to say that this is the same, but kind of, you know, I knew that that would be a comfortable type of way to, to access information. And so once I got in there a little bit, noticed some of the other people that were in there too, different educators. I started searching around a lot of people I did not know. So a lot of people who are not the people that I might see within my Twitterverse or, or sphere in there and just got a chance to listen in to really great conversations, tried making a room, inviting people in and kind of seeing how that's felt. And the past few weeks on Monday evenings, I've done a, a room where the theme is kind of connected to the podcast episode from the week before. I thought that would be a great way of not only talking about the podcast, but just helping me think of a theme, frankly, right? already have that content calendar and so can make that connection. And then Friday afternoons, I've been doing more of an informal, like how was your ed tech week, right? So ed tech tips, um, jump in, do you have a problem? You have something cool you found, like pretty informal. What makes a good room? I think we've all had that situation where it says create a room mm -hmm. and you do, and then you wait. Is that the right thing? Do we all go into a room and then bug all of our friends who might be in the middle of dinner and play with mm -hmm. their own kids and suddenly they get an invite on their phone? What are some of the strategy tips? So what I've been doing, and you know, again, this is a month in, right? So playing around and getting a feel for it is I'll usually reach out to someone who I know is interested in that topic and say, Hey, you know, I'm doing this at seven o'clock. You know, if you're around, would love for you to come in. Um, and I've also been reaching out to people that I know are new on clubhouse that may want a safe space to play around, right. To jump on the stage, to unmute themselves, to talk, uh, and just kind of get that, um, that sort of energy in the room. So with the Monday ones, I've been kind of reaching out to folks and saying, hey, you want to talk about this and I'm going to do this if you're around awesome. If you're not, no big deal. And then for the Fridays, just kind of sit in there and seeing what's happened, which is neat also because, you know, there's a lot of ed tech startups on there. There's educators that are I've just never met before. And for me, you know, and I don't know how you feel about it, but you know, I felt like this has some of the energy that I felt around Twitter chats yeah. when I first started doing this work about 10 years ago. Right. So now this is that same sort of, Ooh, this is new, or this is exciting where, you know, to be honest, I'm not as engaged or excited about Twitter, right. As I 
as I was. You know, I, I, I started Twitter, you know, 10 years ago when we first started TeacherCast and, and, you know, my kids are seven. I have no problem saying I took seven years off. I was still active, of course, but I, I, I recently started poking my head up and, and getting more active in the conversations. And yeah, what, what I'm finding is Twitter chats are still there, but they're not as there as they were around. Um, some of the, the important hashtags are not as active. Um, people always ask, what is Clubhouse? Um, which I want to ask you that question because I always hear people say it's like Voxer, but, or mm -hmm. it's like a phone, you know, how do you explain what clubhouse is without saying it's like Voxer, but without pushing the buttons? Like what's, like, how do you explain that if you're doing a presentation to somebody? Yeah, it's funny because about maybe less than a week before I signed up for Clubhouse, uh, a group um, of, of colleagues, you know, had said, why don't you jump into our Voxer chat? And I said, no, I don't use Voxer. I do not have it on my phone. I cannot handle Voxer. It is overwhelming for me. I've tried it a couple times in the past few years. And then, you know, fast forward a week and here I am on this audio app yeah. all the time. And so for me, if I was going to make a comparison, it would be more around EdCamp or a virtual conference. And yeah. what I've been sharing with people is that this is what you were hoping all of the virtual conferences would be this past year. So the parts that you missed of talking to people, having a casual conversation, jumping into a spot, listening in, you know, I, you probably have a similar experience at onsite events where it's a very, very busy week and I am walking through hallways. And if I hear a voice I recognize, or I hear everyone clapping about something, I'm going to sneak into the back of that room because I don't have necessarily the luxury of making a schedule of things I want to hear because I'm running all the time. And so I felt this way where it's like, Ooh, I want to hear what these people have to say about this. I'm just going to kind of lurk here in the background, right? Or I'm going to jump into a conversation or maybe just like Ed camp, it's kind of a quiet room and I'll jump up and share something. Right. So I think of it as an place for formal and informal conversations, panels, Q and A's um, around any topic that you want to pose and the ability to search through for affinity groups as well. I've been doing Monday mornings where I just say, you know, Monday morning EDU, who wants to talk while we're driving to work? Mm -hmm. Sometimes those have been popular. People have just coming yeah. in and, hey, how you doing? And I've also seen people, you know, like, let's talk about Microsoft Teams or let's talk mm -hmm. about podcasting. The only thing I will say, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, it doesn't yet have a category called education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's like the knowledge. That, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, there's the knowledge category, I think, is the closest to it. But there are the different clubs. So there right. are some different clubs that have an education theme. So I found that to be interesting, right? So to, to kind of sort through. But, you know, what happens is just like any algorithm, right? If you start following people who are interested in similar topics, you are going to start seeing things that you both are interested in. And what I've really found to be useful navigating the app is when you are looking at your who's online list and you can see what rooms other people are in. So, you know, that's kind of a sneaky thing. Like, ooh, good thing I found this before I went into a weird room that everyone wouldn't know I was in, right? Um, but it's also useful for me to say, oh, this is a person who I know or I assume would choose a room that's going to be really valuable. So I'm going to go see what's happening in the room that they're in, even if it's a thousand person room and they don't know that I found it because it's them, right? I can jump into this topic because I'm sure if this person found this, per you know, this room, then I probably like it too. And so it's been interesting to play with the navigation aspect too. Would that be edu stalking? Cause I mean, we all get the, you know, Monica Burns is in this room talking about this and I go, Ooh, right, and I jumped right. in and I, I did that earlier today or yesterday. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Hey, how you doing? It, it's kind of weird, right? <laughs> or yeah. It's funny because it's, you know, if we're going to make a Twitter uh, comparison, you know, if someone is tweeting about this thing, like they don't know that I clicked on the link that they posted, right? Or if I'm noticing that someone is posting around a hashtag or participating in a Twitter chat, well, I might jump over to that Twitter chat, right? And so there's definitely more of a level of, you know, personal connection where you hear everyone's voices and, and all of that. So it's, you know, has that different level of connection, but there are definitely some comparisons to the ways we might navigate other social platforms. I think it's also a awareness kind of an app. You know, I don't know. 
I'll put it this way. Obviously, if you do something, I might get a notification that says Monica is in here. I I think I can even push a button that says anytime Monica moves, get this in here, which means anything that I do, you have the potential of getting that for me. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That means as an educator, I might not jump into certain rooms because I don't want you getting, oh, teacher cast is in the, you name the political party. Exactly. Trust me, I think like everybody else, I want to start party hopping and just to see what freaky stuff is going on out there in the world. But I don't want to have everybody on teacher Cass's list going off going, oh, he's in that room. What's he doing? That's so Twitter doesn't have that. I mean, you can certainly stalk um, Facebook pages and you can stalk hashtags with nobody really knowing where you're going. But Clubhouse is like you don't know who now is watching and following you. Yeah. And you know, the whole thing is in real time. So there's no, you know, archive of, of any of this and right, which, you know, has its pros and cons too. So there's definitely a lot of issues with this platform, right? So the accessibility issues are glaring. Um, they have, you know, right away, there's no live captioning. There's no transcripts or anything here, right? There's some significant issues. So for as much as I'm, you know, interested and excited from a, you know, social media and probably anthropological standpoint on, you know, what an app like this means, I think it is important to mention, you know, sure it's, you know, unfortunate that it's not on Android just yet, but, and that's an issue for sure. But the, you know, the barrier for certain levels of accessibility are pretty huge. Uh, So there's those issues for it. And yeah, just general privacy, right? If I click on the wrong button and now I'm in some real, you know, scandalous room and someone sees that I was in that room, well, maybe it's because my fingers were, you know, on my touchscreen too fast or my phone was in my pocket. Um, And then it might just not be representative of how I'm looking to, to learn or what my, you know, affinity groups might be. Talking today to Dr. Monica Burns uh, and and Monica, thank you for being an open book. Thank you for coming on. Um, I have learned so much more about you and I appreciate that. I hope if you guys are out there listening, uh, you've learned a lot about how to become an entrepreneur, how to build your EDU brand through all these different aspects. Um, Monica, before I let you go, I do have some audience questions that uh, came in specifically, I'm sorry, from Voxer, but mm-hmm. they are specifically things that they wanted to know about you or have have questions. Um, can we take some audience questions today? Let's do it. Yeah. Question that I get often here is what advice would you have for people starting? I know it's easy to say just start. You mm-hmm. and I come from a different generation. 10 years ago, there wasn't the algorithms. Google worked differently. Mm-hmm. Um, we both shot up Twitter because there wasn't the algorithm that said, if I post it, my followers don't necessarily see yeah. it. There's a lot that's changed. If you were looking to start today, um, blogging, podcasting, Instagram, what would you do to start building your EDU brand? So I would say having a niche as much as possible is really important. So if there's that one thing that might feel small, but you're really great at it, you know, focus in on that piece. I would encourage having a nice, clean landing page that lets people know what you do. So even if you don't blog or have a podcast, giving someone a spot to go to to learn about you is really important. And if you're focused at first at microblogging and using Instagram captions to share a story, you know, that's a great way to connect with people, but having that sort of clear vision of what you can provide for someone and a link to where you can point people to, even if it's a simple landing page is really important. Another question came in, um, had a conversation about, you know, everything that was going on here. I said that you were coming on and they said, look, Monica does everything. She's, she's presenting, she's writing, she's blogging, she's podcasting, she's clubhousing. Obviously, I don't want to ask for specifics, but when you're working on a portfolio that size, mm-hmm. where does the majority of your income come from? So a combination, really. And, you know, just to, to talk about all those platforms, you know, I am 10 years in, right? So the layers that have happened here, right, have been layers, not all at once, right? So the podcast is only two years in, the membership site is only two years in, right? So there's certain layers here. From an income perspective, it's a pretty healthy mix. I know it's not the best answer, but I would say it's a pretty healthy mix between professional development, 
which is contracted with schools and organizations, my membership site, which has you know over 600 monthly members, right, that are in there, so it's pretty significant. And then I also do work with direct with companies, so partnerships or helping with advisements. Those are really the three buckets or the three areas. And you know, guys, if you're listening out here, we could have Monica back on just to do an entire segment on membership sites. That's certainly something I know that you guys have asked me about and would love to have uh, have additional conversations about that. One more question here. Next week, Monica, we're actually going to be doing a, a show all about about pages and mm-hmm. some of the, the things that we want to look for, you know, first person, third person. I love your about page. Um, couple reasons why, and then I want to ask you what your philosophy is. How mm-hmm. did you build it? Cause I went to your about page and I, I, it's a, it's, it's more of a fact page. It's a question and answer page. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very easy to use Google friendly heading tags, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. You've got stuff. What is your philosophy? How did that page get created? So that's evolved a bit. Um, it's looked like that for probably two years now, but before it was not as as personal. And so that was a strategic decision. So what I really wanted to accomplish was connecting with people and sharing a little bit about my story so they know why, where I came from to be, you know, what I'm doing today. Um, it also provides an opportunity for me to communicate what I can do for someone who might not know how to quite work with me. So the frequently asked question part, which is at the bottom half of that page, really addresses some of those things. Like if I want to tell people I can do this for them, how can I say that without being, you know, feeling salesy or or feeling like I'm, um, you know, talking about myself in a certain way that I might not want to come across right on that page. So my big goal with that is to build, you know, a connection to let people know a bit about my journey. um, So they know that I'm someone that they can connect with and feel comfortable reaching out to. I have a link on there to my more formal bio, right? So if someone really needs that, you know, that third person piece to read at an event, it's right there for them if they've already, you know, engaged me in a, in a contract, um, but also giving people enough information to work with that they would feel comfortable reaching out via email to talk about ways to work together. Since you mentioned it, I'll bring it up here. A short bio versus a formal bio. We, we advocate for this a lot on the mm-hmm. channel. Um, what's the difference? So some people want a longer bio that has, you know, all the things, especially if they're printing out material or putting that on their website. Uh, I do not want to sit, especially now. Well, I should say it's probably just as bad if you're standing with a microphone in your hand than if you're sitting looking at a camera while someone takes a minute and a half to read a long bio about you and then you jump in, right? So the shorter bio is what I normally will share with people, especially for an introduction for an event. Um, that way I can fill in any of the other blanks as I'm telling a little bit about my story, you know, in the context of whatever we're talking about that day. I do like, and and this is one of the things we're going to mention next week is the fact, you know, I'm a big advocate for your about page should be in third person because Uh it's all putting your name up there. Google reads your names. I love that yours is actually both. Uh It's I, this, I'm this, I do this. I'm, I'm nice. I'm wonderful. But all throughout it, it's got your name on here. In you know, uh-huh. whether it be a header, whether it be a headline, you've got this this combination of both warmth but also SEO. And and I, I love that about your page here. I, that's really, really cool. Um, you said you. it was two years old. Are you looking to update it? Are you looking to do something with it or so, yeah, so I've done a couple rounds of revamping my site, you know, to say that it's two years old, I would say that structure is two years old. Um, at the end of last year, I did go through and kind of update certain pieces, added new testimonials in December, you know, across my pages. So a lot of that is formatted in a new way. Um, I go in, you know, it's one of my monthly things to go in and just make sure my events calendar um, is in the right order or up to date, or I didn't forget to add anything. So, you know, there are certain things that I go into and, and look at more frequently, but from a general kind of structure and overhaul, it's probably been about four years since we made the big shift, you know, with the way the website is set up um, and the new look to that. And then probably about two years since really revamping a lot of the copy. I don't think you said this, but I'll ask since we're here, your website is hosted. So GoDaddy is the host. It's a custom WordPress theme. Got it. Excellent. Um, 
last question here. What is the future? Where, where, where do you see yourself? Obviously, through the pandemic, I know you've had to adjust some things. Um, but I, you know, let's let's just keep saying as we come out of the pandemic, whatever that is, mm-hmm. what's next? So I am really, you know, I'm feeling excited that we all have different vocabulary for virtual professional development that we didn't have in the past. So, you know, two or three years ago, a year ago, you know, this week, um, if I had suggested doing a webinar to a group, it would not have been something that we would have considered. You know, I'm looking at the, the calendar as we're talking, right? February 2nd. So this week last year, I was in TCA. I left Austin to go to Michigan to do a full day event, flew back to Austin to do another presentation at TCA before going back home, right? So that kind of lifestyle and travel, I just do not think will be the case at all, regardless of where we're at a year or five years from now. So, you know, I see the next, you know, few years um, incorporating a lot more virtual. I think people will want that from a professional development standpoint. And at the same time, you know, I'm really leaning in towards my membership site too. Um, I've done a, did a big launch in January. So we welcomed about a hundred new members to the group. That'll be a focus for later this year. And so providing those kind of on-demand jump in as you want them resources for people to go through at their own pace. You know, that's one area that I'm, I'm scaling as well. The website is classtechtips.com. The Twitter is Class Tech Tips. The Facebook is Class Tech Tips. The Instagram is Class Tech Tips. Dr. Monica Burns, you have an amazing site. Congratulations on all of the success in building your EDU brand. Like I said, I am a, I'm a big fan. I'm proud to call you a friend. And I, I love seeing all the great stuff that you're coming up with. Not only have you been an inspiration for the things that are happening here on TeacherCast, but Man, you push me a lot every day to keep teacher cast up and fresh and, and looking awesome too. So congratulations on everything and and you know, congratulations and looking forward to seeing more of the great stuff that you guys are gonna be doing this year. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having me on today. And one last time, we want to say thank you to Dr. Monica Burns for coming on the show today and being such an open book with everything. I learned a lot of stuff, and I hope you guys did too. If you have any questions about how to build your EDU brand, looking for information about email marketing, starting a website, creating a podcast, don't forget to check on over on our website, buildyouredubrand.com. There's a lot of great stuff. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, don't forget to check out the brand new educational podcast directory by heading over to edupodcastdirectory.com. And that wraps up this episode of The Jeff Bradbury Show, episode number 26. Next week, we're going to come back and talk about your about page. I know that doesn't sound as sexy as it should, but trust me, there's a lot of things, as we found out today from talking to Monica, things you should have on your about page, reasons why people aren't creating their about page the correct way, and tips and tricks for bringing all of the eyes and attention to that about page so you can not only build your EDU brand, but you can also maybe make some money off of it too. So that wraps up this episode of the Jeff Bradbury Show. On behalf of everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. You've been listening to the TeacherCast Educational Network, hosted by Jeff Bradbury. Please reach out to the show with all of your questions on Twitter at TeacherCast or online at www.teachercast.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review in the App Store.